morning, everyone. How you guys doing? This lovely fall day we're having. I had a, you know you live in Arizona win moment last night. We did some uh, family pictures and we were sitting there and it was, I don't know, five o'clock in the afternoon and we're hanging out and I'm sitting there going, you know what? It's kind of nice out. Got back in the car, 93 degrees. <laughs> You're like, yep, nope, this state has super messed me up and now I think 93 is wonderful, so... So at any rate, we got cooler things to talk about than the weather today, so I wanna dive in. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, some great stuff flowing out of what Jamie talked about last week. He really talked about some big decisions we all got coming up and then really refocused our attentions on our ultimate foundation, which is being citizens in a kingdom and that kingdom belongs to God. I absolutely love that focus, so I decided we'll double down on that a little bit. We're gonna talk this week about brotherly love, which is effectively gonna be in that kingdom, how should we be caring for each other? And so Peter is gonna talk a little bit about that today, but I wanna start with this quote. It's attributed to Mark Twain, but it says, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day that you find out why. I think that's great. Gives us kind of a purpose. Yeah, you were born, that's awesome, but do you know why? And I wanna twist that a little bit and kind of come into it from this angle. I don't wanna talk about the day you were born as much as I'd like to talk about the day you were born again, or born anew. And uh, it's kind of a tricky thing if you're sitting back and you're going, hey, I haven't spent much time around church, that term born again, I, I hear it a lot, but I don't know what it means. We're gonna define that today a little bit for you. And if that's new to you, uh, I'm so thrilled that you're here. Uh, it means that you probably are new to church, and I, I wanna talk to you a little bit today, uh, let you know you're safe, you're in a cool place to ask questions. Uh, but before we do any of that, uh, I'd like to, to dive in with a little bit of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to join us in a special way as we open his word, just four verses out of the book of 1 Peter today. Let me pray for us. So Father, just ask right now that as we come in and we, we, we begin to look at these four verses that have so much to say, gosh, multiple sermons could be preached on some of these statements alone. Uh, my prayer, Lord, is that you would open each and every one of us up uh, to sort of refocusing our attentions onto this concept of, of what does it mean for us to love one another earnestly, to have this brotherly love that Peter describes, a love that flows so freely from you and yet is so difficult for us to get to at times. So as we look in to open up some of these points, Lord, my prayer is that you would open all of our hearts as we open your word, Lord, that you would move me completely out of the way and that you would simply speak through me today that I wouldn't be a distraction and Lord Jesus, I would just simply be a conduit for you to encourage your body with today. Lord, we pray this in your precious name, amen. So let's take a look. First Peter chapter one, verses 22 through 25 have this to say to us. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Uh, here's what I like about this passage. We've been doing a lot of narrative preaching and here's what that means. We've been in the gospel of John for a couple of years now and it's, there's a lot to break down in it and so we've taken our time and moved through it in a really sweet way and when you're preaching the gospels, which would be considered narrative, uh, you're typically contextualizing what's Jesus doing, here's how he's doing it, here's the context of the culture and today we're gonna jump into a more didactic teaching. Peter, Paul, you get these times where what they're doing is they are preaching uh, 
here's something you need to know about the Christian life, but it's not coming through the story of kind of Jesus' life. It's coming through, here's the things that we should be thinking about as the church, and here's what we should be walking in on a daily basis. So what we get to do today is awesome. We basically get to just follow Peter's argument of what he's trying to say. And what I hope to lay out for you today is there's this great little structure to it. And if we just follow it right along, it brings us to some powerful and profound points that we can apply to our Christian lives. So let's look at this first phrase that kicks off our passage today. We look at this, it says, having purified your souls. Now the phrase that Peter uses in the Greek is in perfect tense. You don't need to remember that, you just need to know this is what that means. It's something that was done. His audience is in a state of completion in this area of being purified. So what I want you to see today is Peter sort of takes this time. His audience is most likely uh, a group that lived in, and resided in what would be modern day Turkey. And they were called, the di- they were kind of sent out in what's called the diaspora. Persecution got really weird for the early church, and when I say weird, I mean deadly. And then what happened was it sent believers from Jerusalem all over the Mediterranean. And so they got spread, and that's how the gospel got spread. What the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. So what's beautiful about this is he's writing to believers, and what I want you to hear from this first statement is this. The audience is purified. They are in a state of purification, having cleansed their souls. What does that mean? means they were saved. Peter is talking to a saved audience. He's talking to the church. What's that phrase mean? Being saved, being converted, what all the things that we hear in Christianese that we cling to, here's what I want you to hear about that. It means that they've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, his blood for their sin for eternity. Okay, so if you're sitting back and you're saying today, I'm not familiar with this born again term, it means that they've been brought to spiritual life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, and they've responded that, to that obediently saying, hey, listen, this is who I'm claiming as my savior. I recognized I had sin and I needed saving from my sin to be in right relationship with God. So Peter took time to define his audience. I'd like to define ours. You're in one of two camps today when you're listening to this. Either you are in this camp having purified your soul, having responded to a gospel call saying, that's for me, Jesus Christ, his blood, I claim that for my sin, I claim nothing else, I'm saved in Christ alone through faith alone. Or you're sitting back today and you're going, I'm not sure I'm there, bro. I'm kind of seeking some answers to some of these questions. I'm not, not really in that camp yet. You may be online sitting back right now and seeking or in one of our rooms. Here's what I'd tell you. I'm so glad you're here. You're in a great safe place to ask questions about what it means to be saved from our sins what it means to have sin. The world's not telling you that message right now. The world's not telling you you're sinful. The world's telling you you're exactly great how you are, which is really difficult because life's still really hard and you got a bunch of things that are difficult but you can't figure out how to sync them up. It's really hard to solve a problem when you're being told you don't have a problem. So what I wanna encourage you today is if you're in that camp and you're sitting back and you're seeking answers, Welcome to Scottsdale Bible, I'm so glad that you're here. And my hope is that in the preaching that you've heard in the weeks past, the preaching you'll hear today, and the preaching you hear in the future, you become desiring of two things. First and foremost, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, that you look in at the love that is being spread through his church, and you want to become a part of it. Because it should be reflective of the love that the Father gives us. So that's our audience today. 
But I wanna take this first phrase, having purified your souls, and I want to clarify what Peter is talking about. He is talking about justification. And that's a big theological word, but here is what it means. Let's define it. A legal declaration concerning our relationship to God's law, stating that we are completely forgiven and no longer deserving of punishment. This is the best news in the world, that when you accept the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ for your sins, what Peter is stating in that perfect tense is saying that has been done for this group. They are no longer deserving of punishment and have been completely forgiven of their sins. Can I ask a question real quick, church? It'd be great to have some energy out of you on this one. Is that good news? It's great news, good. If we had a little applause sign behind me, this would be the time that would flash up, but you guys did great there. What Peter's saying is this, his audience stands purified by the blood of Jesus Christ and what has been done for them has already been accomplished. So how was this accomplished? Let's take a look at our next phrase. Peter says, by, so something was done and this is how it was done, by your obedience to the truth. Now I wanna be real careful with this. I want you to understand, their obedience to the truth is not saying that what they did saved them. It's saying this, they have been purified by the gospel of Jesus Christ and they responded to that gospel when they heard it. It was what Jesus did that saved them, they recognized that and then obediently said, that's for me. I want the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to claim for my sins. Again, we're saved in Christ alone through faith alone. Uh, if you go into chapter two of 1 Peter, you're gonna start hearing him say, now, as a continuation, as we walk this out, having now been justified and purified, you go into chapter two of 1 Peter, he starts talking about all the things. Hey, here's the stuff that's gonna kill you in your walk here on earth. Here's the ongoing problem that you have. Your problem is not the sin that was holding against you, it's that you're gonna continue to experience it. And this gets tricky, but I wanna lay it out today because this is where we're a little different than the Catholic Church, Okay. The Reformation happened 503 years ago and a lot of people forgot why. It's understandable, it was 500 years ago. So I wanna bring it together today. In a Catholic system, okay, for our friends who come to us from a Catholic background, here's the belief. When you sin, you go to a priest, you confess, and then they give you penance. Confession and penance is referred to as this within Catholic theology. This is the means of grace. This is the means through your penance and your works, this is the means by which God's grace is applied to you. Here's what that means in a Catholic system. It means that what is being realized, sin in the, in the believer's life, what is being realized is still in the process of being accomplished through the works of the believer. So what's being realized is still being accomplished. Does that sound a little different than what I just described to you? Here's what a Protestant belief is. Here's what this church believes and here's what I'm going to teach you today because I believe it's what Peter's talking about. A Protestant belief is that what is being realized, sin, has already been accomplished by God who sits outside of time. The goodness of God is that as we realize our sin in time, we come to God who sits outside of it to confess to him what he's already accomplished. He has paid for our sins, past, present, and future. And in relationship, we come to him saying, God, I'm recognizing that I'm in sin right now. And the Bible has spoken on that topic. If Jesus Christ couldn't accomplish future sins and couldn't have paid for future sins, then nobody except those who were alive at the time looking at that cross could be saved. He accomplished 
sin and accomplished uh, victory over it and death or none of it works for anybody after he died. So it's a beautiful picture, but the reality is that our relationship with God is that he walks with us continuously receiving us even when we're sinful, but he already paid for the sin. It's the best news in the world, but the question you run to is, why would he do this? Why would a God be so good to do something that is only good for those who it's being done for? It's not really that good for him, is it? This isn't a good deal for God. That's exactly what we're here to talk, to, talk about today. Something was done, it was done this way, but it was done for a purpose. Let's look at what that purpose was. Follows up, for, it was done this way for a sincere brotherly love Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I absolutely love this because it's kind of my favorite part as we shift into this. The purpose for which we were saved. Answering our quote for the day. Why were you saved? This is one answer. You could throw a lot of answers out there, but I think this is so good for us right now. First, sincere brotherly love. I want to on, focus on two phrases here. I want to focus on the sincerity and the earnestness, and I want to focus on a pure heart. We talk about brotherly love, the word that's used here where he says for, you were saved this way for a purpose, he says this, he uses this word sincere. It means strained or stretched. It means it came at a cost. It's the same term that was used to describe Christ's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that scene? It's right before he gets arrested, carted away, mangled and tortured for our sins the disciples have fallen asleep. They don't even get it. But Jesus is sitting there, and in the midst of his humanity, he's in the garden. He's on his knees, pleading with God, fully coming into the revelation of what's about to happen and how painfully necessary it is. And in the midst of that, in his humanity, as he goes to God, pleading with him, trying to figure out what all it's gonna be, and that revelation sets in, his skin is breaking down. The capillaries that are contained within the epidermis, it says, are starting to burst, and it looks as though he is sweating blood. Let me ask you a question, church. Is that how you're loving the people around you? With a stretching and a straining that is so heavy and so costly to you, but to their benefit, that you would call it sincere by that definition? If you look around, most of us don't even know who we're sitting by, much less be that invested in their lives. What we're being called to is something profound. It's something powerful. It's something costly. It is, in, it is sincere and earnest to a degree that it hurts. Rustin, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> I'm not humanly capable of a love like that. I don't even know how I would get to that point. That phrase right there, it's not humanly possible, is exactly where I wanna focus our attentions. Let's look at this quote. It's Edmund Clowney, he's a great scholar and thinker, but he says this about this passage. He says, how can such love be commanded? Peter writes to people divided by the jealousies and hatreds of their past. Some were Jews, some Gentiles. To bind them in family love, Peter directs them to one source, the love that binds the redeemed flows from the redeemer. This is not a human love. You're not being asked to go out and to love them to the end of your natural ability. It is at the end of your natural ability that you will start to love the way that you're being asked to in this passage. You're being asked to move beyond something human. 
You see, you can't love this way unless God has the availability to flow through you and into the lives of those around you. That's what sincere, that's what earnest looks like. What about this comment about a pure heart? With a pure heart, what does a pure heart look like? Well, it's without pretense or hypocrisy. It's selfless and therefore others focused. It seeks only to give and not to receive. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not great at that. I've said before, I've shared plenty of my testimony, so this will fit, but I've talked before about how wildly unprepared for marriage I was, okay? A lot of that has to do with the fact that I predominantly loved myself, and most of the love that I gave to others was sort of what I call like a boomerang love. You sort of send it out and you hope it brings back more than it left with, okay? And that's how I tended to love. So when I came into marriage, which is two selfish people doing a selfless thing, I got no category for that. So I was asked to do something funny this week that really exposed this, and I, I taught out of this. Uh, I was asked to speak at the singles group up at Northridge. Interesting. I haven't been single in 15 years, and I wasn't very good at it when I did it last, okay? So a lot of my singleness encompassed my testimony building years, and that was kind of a problem because you sit down and they go, hey, we want you to come in to talk about singleness. And I'm like, I, I wasn't good at this. Are you sure you guys want me to do this? And they said, yeah, we do. So I kind of sat down and said, all right, this is gonna be another one of those what not to do sermons. So that's what we engaged in. But what I talked about was this. Guys, I was talking to a group and I said, guys, listen, you're in one of two camps tonight. I do that a lot. Hey, what's the audience? You've either been called or given the gift of singleness, which all of them immediately went, that's not me. And I said, okay, that's fine. Or you're in the place where God is preparing you for marriage. I did that very poorly. Let me tell you what not to do. As we sit down and we go, and we look at this kind of concept of pretense or hypocrisy. What I found looking back at the way I used to love and am trying to grow out of still to this day is the fact that I would sit there and I would look at someone else and I would go, how can I love myself through them? How can I get them to kind of love me back? How can I encourage them to love me better or love me in this instance? So I would sit down and I'd go, all right, well, here we go. I wanna go to do this thing. So I know you really like this, so why don't we do this and then we can go do all the things I like? Even still to this day in my marriage, I gotta check my heart on a regular basis because I gotta make sure that I'm not loving my wife in a boomerang type fashion that goes, well, you'll kind of help me out now, right? Every couple sitting there nudging each other. Oh, you do that to me all the time, I feel that. The reality is we're selfish. Pretense and hypocrisy absolutely litter every single thing that we do. And selflessness is really hard for us to get to because our human nature has us selfish and not self less. So let's say that you did slightly better than this. You go, no, I kind of like to serve others and that's like a kind of a good thing and I can get there. Okay, perfect. How many of you think you kind of leveled up a little bit? How many of you think that you were saved to go love God? You're not wrong. It's just incomplete. God doesn't need our love. God didn't save us because he needed friends. God's all set on the love front. So here's what I wanna point our attentions to because this is where the power, this is where the flowing of the redeemed comes from. Take a look at this, Mark 12. Mark 12 says this, here's the stage. A scribe is sitting there listening to Jesus and he goes, hey, this guy seems to have a thing or two going on, so I'm gonna ask him a question. Here's how that goes. 
And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Time out. Scribe comes up, what's the greatest commandment? Singular, Jesus responds, these two. Why do you respond with two? Why does Jesus come back and go, the greatest commandment is these two? You gotta think this scribe is like, right, no, I got it, but which one? Do you guys wanna know why Jesus does this? Because you can't do the latter without the former. You can't come in and love your neighbor as yourself unless the love of God is flowing through you. Let's go back to our quote. The love of the redeemer has to flow through redeemed. Otherwise, you are completely helpless to do this. You have to sit back and allow God to love you. I love what the first part says. What does he ask for? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me ask you a question, church. What's left? Say nothing. Really, participation awards, are, we're not giving them out today, okay? All you millennials, we don't get any participation awards. We're done. The reality is, nothing's left. There's nothing left. Heart, soul, mind, strength. It is a completely exhaustive inventory of the human experience. What it means is this, unless you give everything that you have back to Jesus, everything that he's created in you goes back to him, then what's happening is the purity of your brotherly love will be interrupted. It will be impure pretense and hypocrisy a boomerang experience of loving yourself through others will start to creep in because that's our nature. And unless you give everything that you have, all of it, back to God, you will not be able to love your neighbor. Jesus answers the question with, of one with two because you can't do one without the other. And the beauty of that is that you won't be happy loving any other way. It will always hurt to try and figure it out without him. This is probably my favorite part of this where we've talked about the what was done, how it was done, and for a purpose, but now we go for a purpose it was done because Peter's about to start reiterating his way out of the purpose. Let's take a look at this next slide. Peter jumps in and says, since, so the purpose was that we have a pure, sincere, earnest, brotherly love since... Tell me if this doesn't sound like our first phrase, having purified your souls. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Every place I looked at this, it talks about conversion being a new birth. It talks about this thing that we need that when Jesus does something, it lasts forever. I wanna paint a picture for you that it's a little sad, but gosh, it's just the perfect picture. I've watched two children come into this world live to make you feel better, both of them were mine. My wife was there and I sat there and I watched these little kids just fight their way into the world. I watched the stress and the strain, the physical torment that it took on both the child as well as my wife. And then there's this moment that occurs. They get the child all cleaned up. If it's got that cone head, they put a hat on it. And they're sitting there and they swaddle the little thing up and then you get the picture that ends up on Facebook. And it's this, it's just this peaceful, completely exhausted individual laying there. And in that moment, humanity says the same thing. This, this right here, this is where you start to see the beginning of the life, even though we know it started long before that. It's the beginning of something. 
It entered the world. You know what's true? I wanna make this point today because of this verse. Yes, it's the beginning, but it's also the beginning of the end. No sooner had that child taken its very first breath than it began a course of breaths that will at some point be its last. It is the beginning of the end because everything in this world perishes. Everything withers and fades away. Life on earth is corrupted. It's filled with death and disappointment, disease, these things that we experience and that break our hearts. And what Peter is pointing us to today that is so perfect is he says, what you need, what you've been born again with is this. Something different. This is where Nicodemus, at one point in the Gospels, comes in and he looks at Jesus and he goes, tell me what I need. You need to be born again. And he goes, how can I be born again? Do I come in? Do I re-enter the womb? And he goes, you don't get it. You don't need to be born again. You need to be born anew. It's not a second birth. It's a new birth. One that is of a seed that is imperishable. Why? Because everything of this earth perishes. As soon as it begins, it begins to end. And what Peter's pointing us to is what you are in need of, what you were born again. Remember, believing audience, what you were born anew to will never die. It is imperishable. Next thing he says right here is he goes, how did that happen? He's reiterating it again. Through the living and abiding word of God. How good is the word of God? You see, Peter's introducing it now. He's going, this is how it was done It was done through the word of God. The word of God always brings life. The word of God, it's through his word, his vocalized breath that the heavens and the earth were created. It's through the word of God that a child was promised to Sarah and to Abraham at age 90. How did they respond? She laughed. You know what God said back to her? He said, is any word too difficult for God? It was of the word that the Lord promised something amazing. He promised the Christ child, the Messiah. Mary didn't laugh. Mary sat back and said this, may I be as you have said. Listen, gang, here's the point. The word of God is rock solid. It's imperishable. It's living and creating life wherever it goes. It's abiding in the fact that you can immerse yourself in it and you can never run dry of its steadfastness. The word of God, the gospel changes everything and here's why that's so important on this day in 2020. Because there are so many things in our world today that are trying to convince you that they can change everything. That they have gospel power. All they're trying to do is convince you that if it can change circumstances, everything will be better and it's a total lie. Washington is trying to convince us right now that whatever happens on November 3rd will change everything. It doesn't have that power. That was not available to Washington. Earthly relationships, my spouse, my kids, my business partner, my ex, if I could just get those figured out, it will change everything. It doesn't have that power. The economy, a vaccine, Power like that was not available to it. You see, the gospel, the goodness of the gospel is this. The gospel does not change the world so that people can deal with it. The gospel changes people so that they can deal with the world. And that is the best news you've got coming. The word of God is the only thing that has the power to change everything it touches. And it's the only thing that we can count on in this chaotic time that we live 
And by the way, this is not the first time that things have been chaotic. So let's look at what Peter tells us about earthly things. This is such a beautiful argument. I love the way that it's put together just structurally. It was done this way for a purpose, and for a purpose, it was done this way. It's about this time that Peter goes, I can just imagine Peter sitting there just kind of, oh, what do they need next? What do they need next? You know what they need? They need a great example. Where's Peter gonna go for a great example? He goes to the book of Isaiah. Let's take a look at it. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What's he emphasizing? He basically just gave you a picture of everything he's just said. He packed it in and went, you know what? Isaiah's already done the work for me. I'm going back to the scriptures to contextualize what I'm writing. Words, governments, economies, relationships, they all wither and die, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He just packed his whole little thought into one picture. So if you're sitting back now, you're thinking to yourself, Russ, this sounds like a lot. I'm not even sure how to pull this off. What do you want me to do? Here's what I want us to do. This last thing that he says here, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. That word, good news, is the word gospel. It's evangelizo. And it sits down and it's talking about the preaching, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to leave with today. If you leave with nothing else, leave with this. You were saved by the gospel and for the gospel. That's it. God's incredibly efficient in the fact that he goes, this isn't complicated. The, the very thing that you were saved by is the very thing that you were saved for. You come in and have this profound experience with God. Those of us who have been saved by this beautiful message that Christ came to be with us is precious. Here's the reality. You wanna make it simple? Every other religion on earth has man chasing God. Christianity is the only place where God chased man. And it wasn't because he needed him. It was because we needed him. And that's the greatest love you'll ever hear about. But here's what we gotta do with this today. Because there's something to apply. There's something that must be done. Don't let this amazing season get away. But Rustin, it's chaotic right now. <laughs> this is not an amazing season. This season's awful. I beg to differ. The reality is right now, Earthly things are withering and dying faster than we can put our hands on them. All the things that I just listed, economies, governments, all this stuff, our hope that we've placed in earthly things, it's all starting to wither and die. Don't waste the season. Stop looking to those earthly things for anything. They don't have that power. We have to turn our attentions back somewhere else. And to be honest, I wanna take our attentions both to the church and to the world because the reality is that both to each other in the love standpoint, the sincere brotherly love as well to the gospel, it's time to roll up our sleeves and share the life-changing, loving and abiding good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Because in the midst of the chaos, we need to be showing where our peace is. It's not here on earth where things corrode, where things decay. We need to show the world in the midst of the chaos where our hope is. It is not here. This place does not have the power to fill our souls. We need to show an unshakable foundation if you have one to show. And this is where I wanna take our audience today and I wanna focus first and foremost here. I wanna focus on those 
who have purified their souls. If you're a believer and you're hearing this today, okay, because you're either in one of these rooms or you're online right now with Pastor Ryan Heath, and if you are, log in, and if you need help, hit the button, live prayer, he's on it. Here's what I want you to hear. As a believer, you're in one of two camps. You have either been through something already in your life that rocked your world. And if something in your life has already broken you to the point where you lost a spouse, you lost a child, you had cancer, you lost a business, whatever the thing was that God used to pry your fingers off of the world that was withering and dying and place them back around Jesus Christ for that securing love, whatever that thing was, if that's already occurred in your life, you may be sitting back right now and going, yeah, I mean, things are bad, but I wasn't looking to these things here on earth for my hope anyway. If that's you, the Lord's already broken you, here's what I want you to do. Be humble and go love well. Be humble and go love well. Here's what I don't want you to do. Do not walk out into the world or walk into the church and start looking at people and going, oh, this is hard for you? Oh, man. God totally kicked my teeth in back in 2011 and I'm just doing totally fine now because I love Jesus and that's where my hope is. Is that what you needed in 2011 when you were getting your teeth kicked in? No. You needed someone to come alongside you and go, this is hard. Because you need to have empathy for what it's like to allow, for God to allow you to be broken. It hurts. Having your fingers pried off of this world and placed back on Jesus is not an easy process. So be humble, be empathetic, love them where they are while they're being broken, but be humble and love well. All right, if you're not doing well right now, if you are a believer and your hope is in Jesus Christ, or so you thought until the world started to fade, you're still saved, but you're in the process of being broken. You're not off the hook. <laughs> I can't have you on the bench right now. I need you to do this. Be broken and love well. Be broken and love well. Here's what that looks like. You're gonna walk back out into the world with the same tenacity. You just have a different message. Your message now is this. Hey, listen, brother or sister in Christ, this is absolutely killing me right now too, just like you're describing. But here's what I'm doing with it, and here's some of the hope that I'm finding. Your message is brokenness in the midst of brokenness, telling people that you're doing it by turning to Christ and that you share the little bit of fruit as it's coming. This is a real-time experience for you, but you're not off the hook. We still gotta be broken and love well, which is the heart of today's message. Now, if you're, in this, uh, if you're in this situation now where you're going, oh, I'm not there, but some of the stuff you're saying sort of makes sense, the world's crumbling around me and I have nowhere to turn, then here's what I want you to hear. It may not be your time to love, it may be your time to just show up and be loved. And my hope is that right now you hear a love of Jesus Christ that's for you through the good news of his gospel, which is what we've been talking about today, and that you turn to either your local church, if you're hearing this from somewhere around our country or the messages that we've had over the last couple of weeks or people getting saved around the world through our online ministry, then what I want you to hear is I would love for you to start that relationship with Jesus Christ. Just reach out, we'll help you get started there and then get involved in the local expression of the church in your area because what we need is for you to come in and to be loved, to get God, to get real, and then to get out there because the world is hungry for the love of Christ, but they're not finding it in the things that are withering and dying. Here's the final action point. I don't want us to waste this chaotic time. 
And here's what I mean by that. I don't want us to talk to our neighbors in like six or eight months and they go, yeah, things were really hard. They were really difficult, but now we're doing better. Do you know what that means? It means we just missed our window on this go round. Don't wait. Get into the chaos and recognize that Christ has an answer. He has a solution. It's to change people, not with good behavior, but actually change their hearts to instill and install a peace and a hope that goes beyond understanding. That's why Peter says, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is in you. This is that time, church, and we need to strike while the iron is hot because what the enemy means for evil, God will use for good, he always does. Let's go out and get some of the good for the Lord. And by the way, it's a beautiful journey. If you haven't been on it, my encouragement is nothing will be as fulfilling or as pleasurable as going out and loving somebody with the love of Christ because it changes everything it touches. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we come to you today as a group of both humble and broken believers. Lord, we come to you today recognizing we always have a long way to go when it comes to representing your perfect, sincere, earnest, and pure love to the world around us as well as to the church. Gosh, we struggle to even do this within our midst, much less within a world that tends to disagree with most of what you came for. My prayer today is just simply, Lord, will you meet each and every one of us in whatever this looks like today for our journey? Will you bring us the things that we need, the people that we need, the places that we need to be? Will you put us in those places? Will you stir great relationship and conversation? Gosh, and Lord, my heart is for every individual who's sitting back right now, maybe saying, Something about that fits. That's not my words, Lord. That's your Holy Spirit stirring their heart. That is you coming after them as you so lovingly do. Lord, would you give them courage to respond either online or to one of our pastors in one of our rooms and just simply say, I'm in need of a love like what was described today, a love that's beyond this earth, which is withering and falling away. Lord, we put all of these things in your hands. We ask that you would move in our midst. We pray this in your name. Amen.